Is that Glock? Well, I'm tripping major nutsack right now. Oh, send it! Welcome to the world of winning. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Switchback Formula One podcast. My name is Graham and joining me as always this week, uh, rumor has it he's signed another extension at Mercedes despite the fact that fuck all has happened this season. Yes, it's, uh, it's Luke Holmes. Weird, isn't it, Graham? I don't know why I'd sign an extension, even though I could be sacked in a few months' time if the car's terrible. Mm, why sign? You know, let's let's sign into an extension, a big money extension, because you know you're not you're not cheap. You know, <laughs> you're not you're not cheap. Ass, so you, know, you cost a, you cost a few bucks. Uh, but let's sign you now, and then we're stuck with your contract when the season starts terribly uh, for the third year in a row. So. Yeah, we're so confident that you're going to change everything that we're going to give you a new contract. And when it all goes tis, so we'll uh, blame you anyway. Mm. Uh, that's great. They must be like oh. really confident in the Sims, and which it's, 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 it's Mercedes. They, we know that they do. <laughs> they do like the Sims. They, yeah, I don't understand why. Like, because their Sims have been basically lied to them for the last two years, so yeah. <laughs> three years in fact, probably because how long did have been developing ahead of it, the yeah. rules change? We're starting twenty one, of course. Yeah, so you would you would admit I'd like like to think that you would be sort of looking to if this car year's car would be bad as well, then you would look at people and think right, we need to make a change here, not sign people down to. Nope, let's lock them in. Lock them in, and then we're stuck with them. We use them as a scapegoat, and then just let's just give ourselves new contracts as well. Why not? I know we talked about this kind of last week as well. We talked about what like what happens next if Mercedes um, start off slow or fail again. But we didn't talk about scapegoats. The next, it's who's next on the scapegoat list? It has to be like James Allison is the gotta be the top of a chart because it won't be Toto. It will never be Toto. Well, no, he just gave himself a new contract. Like I said, <laughs> yeah. So he, he can't be the scapegoat. It has to be here, like because Mike he Elliott's can't be gone. the drivers. Yeah, it can't be the drivers. No, it's not the drivers. There's spot. no other real like. Senior figures left. Who's Who left on the pit wall? You can't blame Ron Meadows. He's not. That's not his role. No, he's Chief's. Tra- is it trackside operations? He does. No, I Ron think. Meadows? Uh, no, that's Andrew Shovlin, who, who could. Yes. Who, who would be up there? Actually, he could be the next one to fall since he's oh, not. Oh yeah, it's, it's trackside operations. Yeah. Meadows. Meadows is like anyone. rules and regulations and shit. It's it's literally anyone that they can sort of swivel an angle at, pretty much, isn't it? At this point. Yeah, we shall see. But uh, yes, we're going to start with that this week. Uh, it is the news. Uh, double extensions uh, this week at Mercedes, starting with Toto Wolff, who has agreed to, uh, with himself. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I would like to think he handed himself the contract. He's like, no, Bob Toto, you've done a good job the last two years. Let's give yourself a pay rise. Oh, thanks, Toto. Not that he needs it, mind you, but... No, the the billionaire himself, you know. Yeah, at what point did he just stroll into billionaire status? It was the early tens, I believe. Was like it? before he took a a proper stake in Mercedes, he was already a billionaire. Was it already was it like, as early say, as that? He was a banker before, wasn't he? Yeah, so. he'd go back to it again tomorrow if he was for some reason let go. Well, of course he would. Manage uh, Lewis Hamilton's finances, I'm sure. <laughs> Oh, that could be sketchy to say the least. Her Majesty, or sorry, His Majesty's uh, revenue would like to have a word. Yes, get it right, Graham. Mm, my bad. 
Uh, but Total Wolf and Mercedes extending their partnership to the end of at least 2026. A new three-year three-year deal. Uh, this will include the parties of uh, themselves, obviously Wolf, um, Ineos owner Jim Radcliffe, and Mercedes-Benz CEO Ola Kalinas. I don't know if I'm mm-hmm. that right. So, and they all decided that yes, Wolf is the way forward. Uh, Wolf, by the way, owns 33% of the of the team, so he's got a fairly uh, significant uh, stake. No pun intended. Uh, no, no Alpha Male stake involved there. With, no uh, Drake involved in this one. No, no Drake involved. Uh, just pure old stake, a third of it at that. And uh, this is what uh, Wolf had to say on the matter. And he said, "I think the most important thing is that the three of us is that we trust each other." At the end of the day, as a shareholder myself, I want the best return on investment. And their best return on investment is winning. I'm not going to try and hang on to a position that I think someone, somebody is going to do better than me. I'll make sure that I have the people around who can tell me otherwise. In the end, the three of us decided, let's do it again. I would argue that the one person... I don't think there's a person now that exists in that team that could do better than them. But one did walk out the door about 13 months ago. <laughs> Right, in the form of vowels. Now he, vowels could get back up there, but I, it's, it's lot. I don't know. It's. I think it's far in the future. He's he sh- as he should be. He's very committed to this Williams thing. For three years. <laughs> For three years. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. You know. I mean, it makes logical sense. I think. If Toto steps down. James will be the one to fill him. It's familiar, familiar ground, isn't it? I mean, he wanted that position anyway, so if Mercedes came calling, unless Mercedes went to the back of the grid and Williams was the team on the top, then I don't think he'd move. But, yeah, the, the logical one is, is James, but Toto still being... It's Toto versus Christian to see who gets sacked first at this point for the longest-running team members, team principals, should I say. Yeah, I'd, I'd still think... Yeah, well, yeah, well, you still have to think a Wolf would be the first one to go at this stage, but... Really? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but Christian doesn't own stakes in Red Bull. True, true. But th- Does he? Rob- so if it goes to his up, he'd be the first one technically to legit go because mm. he doesn't have a say in things. But Ron Dennis was f- forced out and he owned, he had ownership stuff at McLaren. Yeah, true. Well, if the other, the other shareholders then aren't uh, aren't aligned, then you're gone. You're gone, son. You're gone, son. Uh, the vowels thing, I think, three years is a little too soon, I think, actually, in in retrospect, given the project that's involved there. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, it's Mercedes. Like, it's, and I always say that because Vowles has been very vocal about his commitment to us, so I would expect him to stay. Just, I, would, I would not expect the same loyalty from other possible team principals who would maybe go for that seat immediately. Yeah, I think of us would jump at the chance, wouldn't they? As they should, of course, but... Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, Wolf also insists that there's no performance clause within the contract as well. So that's an important note as well. That's, he's not out the door. If there's team doesn't perform, he said, I've never had performance clause. You either trust each other or you don't. And we are aligned as shareholders. And yeah. he, he talked about his, uh, I'm part of this team in various functions. I'm a co-shareholder. I'm on the board. These are things that will not change whether or not executive or non-executive role I have. But I feel good. The risk for me is always more burnout, sorry, more bore out than burnout. And that's why I embrace the challenges we have today, even though they sometimes feel very, very difficult to manage. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, look, yeah, I I would, ex- yeah. I, I mean, now we've got technically got the Hamilton-Wolf kind of 
contract's a little out of line. Uh, at the end of 25 for Hamilton, now Wolf is 26. So we would, would be interested to see the uh, what things look like in a post-Hamilton Mercedes if Wolf hangs around for that or if he goes as well. Uh, I, I'd be interested to see what the story with that is. But certainly now, it, they're at least now on t- two slightly, very slightly different timelines here. Yeah, which I, I think is kind of a good thing. Someone with experience is oversee the transition period. If Lewis does decide to move on, then I think that would be wise. But Toto could call his time at the same time as Lewis if he really wanted to. He's... Oh, yeah, he could walk away when he wants as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's a break clause in there somewhere along the lines. Yeah, I'm sure there's sure something that exists somewhere. And like, again, but I think they've also earned enough kind of. They've earned enough. Time. Yeah, they've they've done enough at this stage too. You know, they could go out if any time they wanted to, and like it doesn't matter. Uh, February twenty twenty four. February twenty twenty four. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, Imagine Lewis gets in the car and he's just like, nope. <laughs> I'm too far. I'm too far backwards this time. I'm sure it's happened in F1 history somewhere where someone's got in the car, like some high profile driver, maybe like in the eighties or nineties. He's got in. Seems like an Alan Prost or Nigel Mansell kind of story, doesn't it? Where mm. like they just get in, like, nope, that's, that's not driving that. That's enough of that. Um, both, both, both of them had fairly tumultuous Ferrari stints in yeah, early. Ferrari was just a mess at that point. In early nineties machineries, which with Ferrari's case was pretty rough. <laughs> so it's rough. It's one of the era of some of the worst Ferraris. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> We've we've seen some some not great Ferraris, not too distant past, but yeah, those nineties ones are something, something quite else. Yeah, uh, Wolf was obviously talking quite a lot to the. He was talking a lot to the Daily Telegraph. He's also talking to uh, uh, La Gazzetta della Sport. He talked about how um, the bullet can't go back into the rifle after the FIA investigation uh, uh, into him and Susie Wolf. His his point was more so for. Uh, for Susie, in that if you typed Susie Wolf on on Google, then like you know that case is kind of brought up, and he talked about this being the aspect of the bullet that came from the rifle can no longer go back inside. Mm. So, it still shows obviously they're still pretty pissed off about the whole thing. So, if you thought maybe that situation was going anywhere, uh, it's I'd still say there's work to be done from the FIA and F1 on both sides. Uh, Wolf also described the losses of the FIA personnel as uh, pretty bad as well. So, yes, a busy week for Toto Wolf, you'd have to say. It always is, apparently. There's always drama somewhere when Toto's involved, mm. for some reason. It's weird, that. <laughs> Funny that. I I do always enjoy the Christian Horner goading of uh, Toto Wolf for many reasons, of course, but not least, of course, the, what I think one of Horner's favourite things to uh, goad wolf in is that wolf basically walked into the team when their future was already set essentially yeah so like what i mean by that is the work for the 2014 power unit was already was already already well underway by the time wolf actually got in there in 2013 like his wolf's arrival in mercedes had nothing to do with the form they had over the next let's say three years 2014 and 2016 you can't say that oh <laughs> Well, Christian Horner likes to say it, anyways. So, as he should, as he should. I do, I, I do agree in some senses. I do agree. I think Wolf has done an excellent job to maintain that from like oh, seventeen yeah, onwards. But he's, you can't. The groundwork wasn't there. Yeah, like the work was already him. done before he was. Uh, he he kind of came into the fold. You're not like Christian, where he's had to build it up from being slower than the sister team that 
was born a year after your team and then <laughs> take it from there. Yeah, and like they like obviously Red Bull had good platforms with the Milton Keynes base of Jaguar before and all that, but the cars weren't exactly oh again like the real the regulation changes in 09 was really where things kind of took off. Yeah. And they've built some well they've built some they've built some bad cars since uh, in, in that time, but they've mostly built pretty good ones as well. Yeah, twenty fourteen being a standout. Oh, the bad in comparison ones? Comparison to the previous years, yeah. I thought the 15 one was much worse than the 2014 one. It was much worse, but going from winning four titles in a row to uh, yeah, winning a couple of races is quite a drop-off, isn't it? Obviously, and then the season's after, not great. <laughs> no, not great. But a uh, little better in their recent times now, of course. Uh, like, yeah. like we mentioned, Wolf wasn't the only one that signed a new long-term contract. Uh, James Allison also committed his future technical director, James Allison, uh, committing his future to Mercedes as well. And Allison had to say on the matter, F1 has brought me a lot of good fortune, but none greater than answering Toto's call to join Mercedes in 2017. It's a great privilege to continue this adventure, working alongside brilliant colleagues and fighting together for championship success. And uh, Wolf said on the matter, I'm thrilled that James has committed his long-term future to the team. Put simply, he's the most impressive. He's the most impressive technical leader in our sport. Okay, sorry. Uh, his oh, his gladiator spirit, along with his knowledge and experience and determination, make him second to none. His influence and impact, however, go go so much further than that. Since joining in 2017, he has been a key ally, inspiring partner for me personally. We can challenge each other openly and honestly. An embodiment of the tough love culture of the team that is vital in helping us perform at our best. More importantly, though, James is a true friend you can rely on. Not only in times of success, but in difficult moments too. It's been a pleasure to work with him over the past seven years. Oh my God, is that where we're at now? Flip me. Mm-hmm. I look forward to doing so for many more years to come. So, yeah, again, I, I look forward to looking back on them statements in a few months' time. Yeah, again, I, mm. I don't, I don't like, especially like, yeah, drivers is one thing, but technical directors and like technical personnel. It's always a risky proposition assigned to long-term deals, especially when the last few years haven't been great. And it's not been his direct fault that is not gone right. Not directly. Like he, he's obviously he's been involved. He's been over the years. He's obviously taken somewhat of a step back. He's been involved in the factory, in the office more, and that changed, of course, a bit last year when obviously they had their technical reshuffle, promotion to motion thing with uh, Mike Elliott. And now Mike Elliott's gone, and now it's just now he's James Allison is just the technical director again. So, yeah, I guess we'll see some of the fruits of that change possibly this year because obviously that happened midway through last year. Yeah. So I I, I, I don't know if it's going to work though. Like I like James because he was a Ferrari, but he was I, I don't know. I'm I, I want to see him do well for him. But like, I don't want him to see do well because it's Mercedes, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not Mercedes here in the slightest, obviously. No, we are definitely not. It's just, I, I just don't get why you would hedge your bets before you've seen the results of his first project back on the team, leading the team in the technical in the technical department. I don't understand that. Yeah, it would be akin it's to giving... It's a very bold double down. Yeah, like imagine if like James Key had gotten himself an extension before this, like at this time of the year and then the car arrives and it's terrible uh, like it was the start of last year the McLaren and then all of a sudden yeah you've got a lot of egg on your face I, I hope there's big egg big big egg <laughs> a very runny egg is it yeah as, as much as I, I don't want there to be a dominant car this season I just hope Mercedes aren't the ones that have caught up to Red Bull 
I'm fine with it so long as either so long as McLaren but more so Ferrari hold up their end of the bargain as well yeah give me a three team fight as long as other people there yeah that's what I mean I don't mind them being there just to mm. just make it interesting anyway we have to have some antagonists here you know if we have to have that team you love to hate in there because if we're because this we, is the team to hate yeah I, I well if from our point of view yes that's, that's our personal opinion for other people it will be Red Bull of course yeah of course because they're the ones at the top yeah yeah so and that's and that's how it goes like you know you're at the top long enough then others want to see you fall and, and you know everyone waited a very long time for mercedes to be that team to fall and they did to an extent and now they're trying to get back and ferrari obviously even on the long road to get back mclaren on the long road to get there so to speak after yeah. a long time being away from championship contention for being what 2000 and do we want to say 12 10 i was going to say 12 mm. they're in the fight in 12 yeah so it's been a while um Launch season is fast approaching. Uh, Mercedes Very are one of the close. teams that confirmed their date. Uh, Alpine were another team that confirmed theirs. Uh, we'll just run you through. There's only two teams left to announce their to announce their uh, date for car launches. It is Haas and uh, now. Hold on a sec. Now, do we want <laughs> now? What's the? Uh, we might as well chuck it in there now. Yeah. <laughs> so the current rumored name. For the formerly Alpha Tauri, formerly Toro Rosso entry, is Cash App Visa Racing Bulls? Yeah, well, that was the change on Instagram anyway, mm. which was bizarre. And then you couldn't find the Instagram handle anywhere. You can find the Alpha Tauri Instagram page anywhere because of the name change. And yeah, it looked like the account got deleted. It's really really bizarre. Um. Not the best of names, I won't lie. No, it doesn't roll <laughs> off the tongue very well. Like, at least... See, I was I was okay with Racing Balls. I don't mind that. Yeah, because there's an abbreviation to be had there somewhere. Because, like, if you, like, you know, you get, you get to a stage, like, you need at least two or three syllables as a, as a team name. You can't, you can't have several words, for instance. <laughs> yeah. So, like, at least steak or sour will be just, like, it'll be, like, steak is, like one syllable at least that's easy like yeah. you know i might not like the name but like, I, it's it's not a it's not a mouthful so to speak uh, no i don't know what we're gonna like what's the abbreviation here like i don't like are we just gonna call them racing i imagine we'll still call them racing bulls and i still don't like that but cav cav <laughs> it's... it just doesn't work does it no so i don't know what they're just gonna be called be racing here. bulls aren't they at the end of the day that's why everyone's gonna refer them to I'm I'm a t- I'm debating whether to, to to just call them Alphatari or Toro Rosso. It depends what they do with delivery. If it's the same livery as last year, I'm just I'm just going to call them Alphatari just out of spite. Well, yeah. Well, Cash App and and Visa have got very different color schemes for their brands anyway. So Cash App's green, and Visa's what yellow and blue. Blue, yeah. And then the rumored Racing Bulls livery was meant to be white, so. This livery is going to be a concoction of multiple, multiple bad choices. I think. Yeah, I. Yeah, maybe that's why. Maybe that's why I haven't announced it yet. They need as much time for whatever their uh, graphics departments and design departments to come up with something of a livery on. Or like, are we getting a? I imagine we're getting a fresh logo of sorts. Uh, I guess. I, I assume a total rebrand is coming here. I would be my guess. Yeah. Well, obviously. So. From livery to logo, everything. So, yeah, who knows what to expect. Uh, the the car launch dates we have so far, excluding Haas and whatever this entry is going to be, 
Uh, we got February 5th being both uh, Sauber and Williams. February 7th is when Alpine sneak in. Now, Alpine have been doing a few things here. They've been teasing a pink camo livery, but I have to imagine, again, it's going to be for the first three races of the season like they have done the last few seasons now. Yeah, I'm okay with pink camo. It looks cool so far from what I've seen. From what I've seen. Uh, the rumoured other livery that featured the like 90s F1 nose cone uh, that you may have seen floating around. A uh, little less inspired. I, did, I like the nose yeah. cone. But <laughs> Not a lot else. <laughs> it did look like a 90s F1 car. And whether, you, whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. But uh, I like it weirdly. But I could also say it's not like I like it, but like I couldn't say it's a pretty looking thing. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm not optimistic. So yeah, I'm kind of interested <laughs> to see what they do. But this pink camo thing looks promising for the, for the first three. I imagine the first three races as they have done already. So yeah. Uh, then later on, then Aston Martin are February twelfth, Ferrari February thirteenth, Mercedes and McLaren February fourteenth, and then Red Bull February fifteenth for their car launches that are announced so far. Right. Um, I wouldn't surprise me if Haas announced their livery this week. They did something similar last year where they sort of just surprised us with the livery out of the blue. And it just, yeah, mm. it wasn't inspiring. Let's be real. See, but. Haas don't usually do in-person launches. This is a thing. And Williams have gone, gone away from this recently as well. They may, it may change yeah, now with vowels. But... They just do like a visual... Yeah, like graphic on, and then just the car is just wheeled out in Bahrain, <laughs> and that's that's all you get. Um, well, of course, Williams are doing a rebrand as well, so you don't know mm. how they're going to approach it. Well, for quite a few recent years, actually, the Alfa Romeo outfit and Sauber outfit was they just did theirs at testing, which was very annoying. Yeah, you just got around, like a random photo of it going around. Um, where is it? Where do they do their testing? Somewhere in Italy, anyway. You just see a, like a random picture of it. Oh, okay, that's the that's the Alfa Romeo. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, obviously, McLaren uh, surprised everyone by dropping their livery uh, unexpectedly out of the blue. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of that livery. Big, big fan. Yeah, I think we both agree that cutting the blue out is the right thing for that for that car. Either you lean a lot more into the blue, or you ditch the black. Uh, you say either go and orange or blue, and they're not going to do that. So no, not with the weight saving that's needed from the carbon fiber. So, yeah, much better look for it. I think they kind of took, I think they took some inspiration from one of their many liveries last season with the blackout one. I think in particular. Um, yeah, and sort of a nod of the nod of the cap towards the nineties uh, McLarens, with the like the angles and stuff of the livery, mm. so, which is quite good because I, I love the orange on the on the back of the car. It looks so clean. Yeah, that and that's how you could describe it. It's just it's a lot cleaner this year. So yeah, big fan of that, and I'm sure they'll do some special liveries as well throughout the season as well. But a much better, are. much better platform to work with this season. So yeah, good, excellent move, McLaren, uh, and good stuff for that. By the way, I just I forgot to mention Haas's last launch I, that I remember in person that they did was obviously for the 2019 car when they had the big. Obviously, they had obviously uh, rich energy uh, for that. Yeah, and of course, something over the top had to be done for that. Absolutely. <laughs> and by over the top, it was just literally a launch. <laughs> yeah. Because they don't normally do that. But yeah, we'll see what they decide to come out with. Uh, and see, obviously, uh, what Ayukamata has to say to the, I guess, larger gathered press, if such a thing exists for uh, for them, for the if they're doing a car launch. But he 
um, new team principal, new Haas team principal, Ayo Kamatsu, was doing some chatting this week to the media and talking about not not to uh, Gene Haas, <laughs> not to Gene Haas, not right now. But she did uh, kind of state a few of his, I guess, aims, so to speak. So. Um, well, there's a, just going to, read, going to read from the race. Uh, Ed Straw wrote this piece about uh, Kumatsu and some of the comments that he said. Quite a long piece, I have to say, so I'll read through some of these comments. Uh, a brief synopsis. Uh, Kumatsu found out uh, he, at the end of last year that he was going to be team principal. Serious surprise, but at the same time grateful. So... He's already... been surprised. <laughs> Basically, Snake Gunther, don't act surprised. Uh, yeah, I, I believe that is the case. <laughs> Uh, by the way, he also mentioned that him and Gunther haven't spoken since uh, since all this. Yeah, I wonder, wonder, wonder why that is. Yeah, I, I yeah, link a few dots here. <laughs> uh, however, he did, you know, he did. Uh, obviously, he's asked about Gunther, and he said, "I'm not trying to be Gunther Steiner. Uh, we get on honestly, and we respect each other during work and off work as well." He kind of talked about some of the friendship stuff uh, him and Gunther had during the year, but he said, "I'm not here to replace Gunther Steiner's character. He's a very different character to me, and he's got very different strengths and weaknesses to me." I'm not trying to be somebody else. Gene knows that, and if he wanted the Gunderstein replacement in that way, he would have appointed somebody else. Gene wanted something different, so I'll be the best version of myself. So, which I think he has to say in a sense, because the whole reason that he's here and Gundersteiner is not is just for that exact reason. He's not. He's not Gundersteiner, and Gene has wanted something that wasn't Gundersteiner anymore. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what he actually wants to achieve, he said, I'm, I'm focused on improvements. I like to think I'm correct enough. I like to think I'm polite enough. I'm reasonably direct. And then it's about transparency, honestly. I don't do politics, so that's not something I'm focused on. I believe that, I believe that if we ha- have got the right intention, if your motivation is clear to get the best out of the team, it will get through to people. And then it's really trying to empower and bring out people together. Which is a whole bunch of nothing, I would say. And the counter, like, so Gunther Steiner didn't have the right intention. I, I, Which is weird when Gunther was literally striving to get more done at the team with money. Yeah. Also, in, but, also bringing yeah. people together, Gunther Steiner was described as ha- by Gene Haas as basically like a people person. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Again, just something's a mess. Uh, Kamata said, my job fundamentally is to improve the team's competitiveness. That's my focus, full stop. It's not like I'm going to be constantly looking for exposure to promote the team's popularity. That's somebody else's job as far as I'm concerned. I made that clear to Gene Haas as well. Um, And Kamata said on the differences of the role now, it's very very different. There's certain areas I'm more familiar with, which is the technical side. There's certain areas I'm less familiar with, with the commercial marketing side. When I was given this opportunity, I just made it clear to Gene that you know my expertise. There's no point for me trying to get focused on the marketing side, trying to get sponsorship, because that's not where my skill set is. In that field, I need somebody else who is an expert in that area to run it. And then I can focus on trying to improve the technical side of the team. Now, I believe this is basically, this is the allusion to the COO that we talked about at the end of last week's podcast, uh, the chief operation <laughs> officer. Um, <laughs> to uh, focus on that side of things so yeah it kind of yeah kind of allows I guess it's somewhat similar to I guess an approach to I know initially Zach Brown said he would do more media stuff to protect uh, Stella but Stella's got a lot more comfortable over this as the year's gone on yeah for good reason I suppose I guess so yeah (laughs) so very much so Uh, Kamatsu's obviously he's, he's stressed communication 
Uh, he also mentioned, I'd rather focus on what I'm trying to do rather than what I was missing before. I'd like to guess, I'd like to set some clear objectives and directions, provide a clear strategy, and then communicate that to everyone in the team. No matter who you are in the team, everybody should know how they're contributing to the performance because we are a race team. So at the end of the day, the race result is what matters. The key word is communication, really to understand what we are trying to achieve, how we are trying to achieve that, and get everybody aligned and on board and move as one. That's what I'm trying to achieve. Um, yeah. Now, he was asked somewhat about factory work as well. And there's obviously, Haas have a, you have a weird situation where they've got, an, they've got an office in Banbury. They've also got an office in Italy. And apparently there's also some stuff in the US, which is a very high facility, a very high standard. But it's not replicated over on the European side, which is a problem. So... Uh, Ed Straw writes then, for any team, the way of tracks, the way the trackside team and design side of the factory work is crucial and can easily become so racked with politics, which is a particular risk for Hask. To which Kamatu replies, absolutely, yeah. For instance, the, the, for me, the reason we couldn't develop last year's car is partly due to that. So we are reviewing the internal structure of the team. I'm in the process of talking to all the key managers and we'll put that in place as soon as possible. It's just about communication. Of course, disagreements happen everywhere. That's healthy, that's not a problem, but to move forward, everyone needs to know, okay, they said this, I disagree, but then with all this disagreement, we need to decide to move in this direction. That's important rather than the risk of people uh, don't know why we're going in that direction. This doesn't seem to work, but we're, we keep it on going. Why? That's not healthy, so that comes from communication. So he's got some, he's planning trips to obviously Maranello, to Banbury as well, to get an idea of these kind of things. Again, it's not that I don't think... Uh, it's not that I don't think Shiny didn't do these things anyway. So I, I feel like we're learning about Kamatsu, and we're learn. I feel like we're learning that nothing. I don't think anything radical is coming. No, it's just going to be standard, standard boring stuff, isn't it? I guess. Mm. So he also said that we've yet to see Haas's ceiling. Uh, you mentioned that you've got the short-term vision, the medium-term vision, the long-term vision. In short-term, there are plenty of things we can do better. Then I, I'd like to see, once we do that, how far we can get. There will be a parallel discussion going on in what area needs to improve needs to improve investment. But before we get to that stage, there are plenty of things to do. I.e., um, show me that this team can do better than what it is currently with the budget that we have, and then I might invest more money in it. Is, is what I deduce from that. Um, it literally is, isn't it? Even though I think the problem is that you need to invest in the short term to get your medium and long term benefits, but because that's how it works, it's not. You don't. You don't really get a lot of immediate gratification in F one. Very rarely, it's. It is the like your upgrades are the are the bull are the work of months of work and development, uh, of yeah. understanding of reviewing it's never the work of one singular moment and you need the facilities to have, have these things in place and if you don't have those then your work is wasted in many ways as we saw last year with Hass's development yeah literally so, uh, the, the non-existent development yeah quite literally uh, of the future investment potential uh, obviously the committee was asked about this um he said, of course, if you're setting up on a blank sheet of paper, you're not going to set up an F1 team with two separate factories in the UK initially. But that's how we started. And that and then that was very beneficial in 16, 17, 18 to get off the ground. Then, of course, the landscape changes. Certain regulation changes happen, so the team needs to evolve. 
that kind of thing we need to assess continuously. If you ask me, is the ideal having a UK office here and office in, initially office there? No. But is that a main constraint? No. Can we do better? Absolutely, yes. So that's what I'm focused on. If we get maximum of how we set up, then if that becomes right, we cannot do anything better the way we set up, then we could talk about it. That's my strategy. Hmm. Uh, again, I would translate that as, again, show us what you can do in the short term and then we'll see if it's worth doing anything like investing money long term. <laughs> They're not going to invest money, Graham, let's be real. No. Um, and as draw writes, as the race points out, that surely raises a concern in that has as natural rivals stake as it evolves into Audi's works team. The formerly the team formerly known as Alpha Tauri and Williams are investing heavily at the same time. If Haas must fulfil its current potential before the possibility of the investment taps being turned on, it risks f uh, falling permanently behind. To which Komatsu says, I don't know if I cause a concern. It's a very tough business, but I'm still very positive about what we can do with the current setup. And then, and, and then as we improve on, certain things will become pretty obvious and natural that we need to diverge slightly from our original model in this way. Maybe we need to invest in this way. That will come out naturally rather than forcing it. I'm not here to turn the place upside down because then we can't operate it. Even if we had a massive investment straight away, we won't be functioning properly. We won't be using that investment properly. You've got to grow organically. We are not where we should be in 2023. That's why we, Gene, decided to make changes. We cannot then suddenly go for a huge leap because then 2024 will be a complete disaster. We've got to improve the team in 2024. I see it as a transitional phase. I'm sure that will help us very clearly define what we are going to do in five years' time, eight years' time, ten years' time. They won't be here in five years, eight years, ten years, Graham. No, they will not I'm be. Very, I'll be very surprised. Hmm. Uh, also, uh, Ed Straw writes, while it's clear that improvements are expected and there is no freedom to write off the next two seasons and prepare for 2026 when the power unit and chassis regulations change significantly. So when asked if this 2026 was the focus, Kamata said no. Gene at the moment wants us to get, back, get off the back of the grid. You saw and heard how ha unhappy Gene was and who he is going to be happy competing in and, and who is going to be happy in competing in last place. It, it really is embarrassing. It's possible that Gene's unhappy where we are. If the people in the team think, okay, we are last and Gene doesn't say anything, then it's okay. Then okay, Gene's happy to make up the numbers and being P10 then. That's clearly not the case. So that's actually motivating for everyone here. Gene is serious, wants to improve the team, so let's do it together. Now, I would yeah. say that's not motivating at all because to say it's an embarrassment, I think diminishes the very hard work that clearly goes on in the, fa in, in the factory. It, it does. There is hard work that definitely goes on, but... You can only work so hard if you've got no money. Yeah, a good workman always blames his tools, but in this case, it's, it's true. <laughs> no, it is. So, I don't know. I did. I wasn't really inspired by a lot of those comments. I think they are somewhat to appease Haas, uh, which is what, sadly, what kind of now Kamatu is kind of forced into. Like, I don't think he's got, you know, I don't think he's not like Steiner. He's not going to be able to, I guess, get a chance to be his own person, really, like to the full degree Steiner enjoyed that liberty. Just because. Yeah, he's going to be on a leash, isn't he? Yeah, because if we're being honest, like Kamatsu is just going to have to simply be grateful for the job he's got. <clears throat> like, no one would have pegged Kamatsu for a team principal. It's, it's, it's just where we're at with things. Like, it's, again, it's, you can make a very clear case that he's lucky Steiner didn't often before this, and now Kamatsu has his job. Yeah, literally. 
like I don't, I don't understand how Kamatsu has gained out of all this to be honest but no he has he has and I don't but, like and look I guess to, like how much I wish him luck like but yeah like and it's also worth noting like the team doing poorly in 2024 is not going to be really his fault no but that's the thing if it does well then it'll be looked at as like he's the one that's done the groundwork that's what it's, it's such a a backwards double-edged sword and I'm not going to be happy about it if they do do well. Oh well, we, we like we're going to have egg on our face for sure. So, but yeah, I guess it's also worth pointing out then. Like yeah, like, like you say, like if it's bad, it's not his fault. If it's good, it's also not. That's also not his primary doing as well. No, that's the thing. It's what things have come for us done in the past year that's coming into place. The work of Simone Resta and others who are now long, no longer there. Yeah, they're not going to be there to reap the benefits if there is any. <clears throat> no. Uh, although Kamatsu did mention that he thinks that the new car should have suited Kevin Magnussen a little bit better than the previous <clears> one. Oh, well, he's got to hope so, Kevin Magnussen, right? Um, uh, yeah, Magnussen wasn't too happy with the style he had to drive in. Um, he had, like, you know, he talked about the G-force of the car and he said, you have so much, you have to V the cars more. And that's the two different driving styles, V or not. Now, if you don't, if you know anything about I would say more so. You see it in F one, but I would say you might you might see it more sometimes in endurance or sports cars. The uh, your V or U approach. Uh, it's it's really personal preference. I find driving like on simulators and stuff myself. I find it just personal preference in terms of. I usually go for a U, but I I I prefer that side of things. But V can be quite tough to get used to because it's a very sharp approach. Quite, it's very different quite a steep deceleration and then you're quickly on the throttle and if you've got a car that's unhappy at the rear then that's it's hard to make that car work for you yeah if you've got any experience with driving a car normally you would you it's it's taught to you do when you do driving lessons to do a you nobody naturally does a v unless you uh, become a pro racing driver essentially yeah a couple of like <clears throat> a couple of corners that, or at least one corner that comes to mind when it comes to this would definitely be t- uh, Las La Source at Spa. Yeah, that's a classic kind of corner where you could highly you can decide whether you prefer to do a U or whether you cut in and do a V out of it. So um, these are some of the things that Magnussen uh, obviously kind of you know, struggled with last year, among many things. So yeah, mm. well we'll see if it, this this car suits him better. But I yeah, I wouldn't be too sure. <laughs> No, I wouldn't be too sure either. I don't think it's going to really matter, to be fair. But no, no. Anyway, uh, obviously, something in that article that was mentioned was the fact that you know we've got the likes of Williams and AlphaTauri or whatever they're going to be called, and these are two teams I enjoy. Obviously, a technical alliance with other F1 teams. Obviously, Williams with Mercedes, but obviously much more so this year. Uh, AlphaTauri with Red Bull. Now, there's a couple of known opinions on this already. Uh, we know McLaren mm. are steadfastly against this, and Zach Brown again has urged uh, the F1 to take action over uh, over this alliance of sorts. So, yeah, speaking at the, I mean, from Motorsport.com and Jonathan Noble, uh, Zach Brown was speaking at the livery launch for uh, for McLaren. And again, reaffirming this side of things. He said, the thing I would like to see for us as a sport focus is where we sit on the regulation side with the A, B team co-ownership. I believe it's a serious issue for the fairness of the sport, for the fans. That's why it's pretty much not allowed in any other form of major sport. I'd like to see us as an industry focus on that before it gets to a level of being where everyone was once, where it was very out of balance because people are playing by the rules, but a different set of rules. 
Afotari is, from what I understand, moving to the UK, which I think will benefit both teams. So this AB team and co-ownership, which is a whole le other level of AB team, is over a big concern of ours for the health of the sport and the fairness of the sport. When these teams were put in place, the sport was in a different place, with a huge gap between people like ourselves, who had huge budgets, and smaller teams. Now everybody's much at the cap, if not at the cap, Mr. Haas. So I think everybody's playing the same size of the bat, to use a baseball term, and therefore that's unnecessary. But it might give someone an unfair advantage. I think that's something we need to tackle with the sport quickly. Now, I think he's absolutely correct in the sense that you think back to 2006, uh, for instance, when this first came in, uh, well, sorry, when first uh, Tor Rosso came into the sport, there were, like, obviously Red Bull weren't where they are now, but there was an enormous difference between the front of the field and their, their budgets were enormously huge. And oh, yeah, you're talking big cash. Massive. We're talking hundreds of millions. And obviously the rear of the field where there's teams just basically just trying to survive. The gap, you know, we, we, we talked about recently about looking at the... Well, before Christmas, we looked at the the teams and where they were in terms of like a 100% of the pace compared to the front of the field, which is the Red Bull. And it's a, it's very tight now. Like it's a, it's so much more tight now between the front and the rear of the field. So Zach Brown is right, like in this, in that sense. So I'll, I'll give him that. Like it's, it is very different now compared to when this whole thing kind of came about and AlphaTauri or Torosso came into the fold. Like the, the, the back markers are not that far off these days. There's obviously a bit, obviously there are, they're a bit off Red Bull, of course, but like to the field, they're, it's pretty close. And now we do have budget caps in. So like there is a degree of merit to what he's saying. Uh, I still am fine with this current setup as is. I don't think it takes the complete piss yet, but I think <clears throat> if we do have a situation where we have, if I think it would retake really the piss if we saw Avatari kind of finish a clear second to Red Bull in the standings. Yeah, if that if that car is literally a carbon copy, then yeah, I know it can't be anymore. But if they're they're in a position where they can gain and like you say, jump up to at least in the top three fight, then. Serious questions must be asked. I'm sure there will be a lot, um, and rules will be put into place where it can't happen again. Mm. But uh, then you sort of got to look at the team alliances then at the same time, because like it's sort of you can't say it's a one and then have all the teams working together buying parts of each other and yeah, it's sort of it, it's, it starts off like a home like storm basically. I do think this is somewhat rooted in fear that, especially what we saw at the back end of last season. And especially what's going to change this year. I think McLaren, I think, certainly feel potentially threatened that AlphaTauri could move up into the conversation with <clears throat> them in parts. Yeah, they, they possibly could. Because what's, like, he's mentioned this by name, but, like, what's the massive, what's the big difference between this and, say, Haas and Ferrari's relationship? Yeah, that's, that's what I was getting at. Yes. Yeah. Like, the only reason people don't give a shit about that is because Haas are not competitive at the moment yeah and that's it it's if it's literally it <laughs> like it's you know you feel threatened or you know things like it's again everyone's a very fickle and contradictory sport um, so and the genders change often uh, depending on who feels threatened by whom <laughs> yeah oddly though literally. i'm about to blow your mind mercedes don't think this is a big deal they don't no i was shocked by this too um, 
James Allison talked about this. He said, I'm not entirely sure what the, what the nature of the relationships are between those two teams, but I am clear what the rules are. And it is that other and it is that other than the very limited part of the car where you are permitted to supply parts, and therefore a certain amount of technical data alongside those parts. In every other aspect, the rules are very tight about not passing on anything that could be regarded as intellectual property from one team to another. The way that rule is written is very broad and very powerful. It is pretty much it pretty much makes any communication not permitted. Um, and this yeah, so this is from Jonathan Noble as well. I'm reading from motorsport.com. And it goes on to say, Allison then reckons that the only areas where teams can legally work in alliance is marketing. So if two teams have a strong relationship with each other, it can only really use it can be only really be a strong commercial relationship. It cannot be a strong technical or a strong sporting relationship because the rules forbid that. In the past, it was more open, and the relationship that Mercedes enjoyed with the team that is now Aston Martin, at the time, that was a relationship that permitted much greater freedom than it does today. In response to that relationship, the rules were tightened up substantially to mean that you can't really have a technical or sporting relationship. If it turns out that there is one, then that is something that will cause unhappiness. There is not much mileage to seek a close relationship with another team from a technical point of view because it is not allowed. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's yeah, fairly, fairly clear. So, yeah, but... It, I guess it comes to the, from the, you know, again, they don't feel threatened by Alpha Tauri, and so I don't know. Um, again, there, again, there's not, there's not what Brown is saying. There's not without some validation there. There's some valid points. Oh, that is completely valid. But I do think, usually, when it comes to these things, you know, r- rarely enough does the actual interest of the sport come to the fore, and more so, self-preservation. Or future prevention of uh, uh, other teams taking points off you. Hmm. So there is That's that. The um, other Avatari news. I didn't actually realise this until I was checking during the week. Uh, Alan Permain set to join Avatari. What? Yeah. Good. Not That's a big coup. There's a big coup. Not the place I expected him to be. No, I just have Williams or something like that. Williams would be a good spot, but. Wouldn't you think if he was going to go to AlphaTauri, surely he'd be good enough for the Red Bull operation? Yeah, I'm just seeing how he gets on. So, anyway. Because, uh, yeah, Horner was one of the people that was very vocal about Permain when he was dropped by Alpine. He called him one of the rocks of F1. Yeah. So yeah, they, they literally were. Yeah, and he said you sh- shouldn't discount anyone of that seniority. Yeah. Yeah, and he said, well, I've never worked with Alan Permain. I think sometimes there has been respect shown for someone that has put in 34 years of hard graft and has been involved in world championships with Michael Schumacher and Fernando Alonso. He's also been, been a steady hand during periods of that team going into administration, an edge administration, a different ownership, and so on. He's very much been a constant there through that period. I think that earns him respect and recognition. Uh, he, I'm sure he's a guy like Otmar that won't find themselves out of work for long. Definitely not. So, that's true. Yeah, so, yeah, again, I, I'm i with you. Surprising that uh, he ended up I did up not there. see that anywhere. I honestly didn't see it until I was looking up stuff, I think, on Friday just to catch up. But, yeah, didn't see that anywhere That's either. That's bizarre. So, yeah, that is a strange one. Uh, last thing I want to talk about, F, like, purely F1 side of things. I just want to make a quick mention. There's a great piece on the race uh, it's from Val Carinci and I can't remember if I'm that right but uh, and it's an interview with Jack Aiken okay. and uh, it's titled 
I'll take it to my grave, how an F1 one-timer found closure. And it talks about Aiken's kind of journey through the junior formulas and trying to get into F1 and his one F1 appearance, obviously, at the 2020 bar, uh, Secure? Secure. Secure, it was, yeah, Secure Grand Prix. And the path forward after that and how he's found a new home in endurance racing and that sort of thing as well. Uh, so... I do recommend it. it's quite a long piece. It's quite can it's actually yeah, it's it's very candid piece from uh, uh some very candid comments from Aiken as well on this whole thing. Uh, and Aiken is finding some success in the ISMA as well, uh, with Cadillac. Uh, sadly he was uh things have gone much better I think uh since his unfortunate lap one crash at Le Mans. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was rough to watch, but uh, anyway, but I, I recommend it. I'm not going to read through it. Uh, he makes brief mentions to being in the Alpine Academy or the Renault Academy, rather, at the time, <laughs> and how he felt he had done enough to warrant a bit more of a look in for winning races for Campos when they hadn't done that for quite a number of years and haven't done much since, which I think is absolutely a fair point because I remember his 2018 season I thought was pretty pretty good in that Campos, all things considered. It was. It uh, was. Uh, vivid car, of course, with the orange and then the yellow rear wing. Yeah, that's what I remember quite, mm. quite happily. But, uh, yeah, so I, I like the piece a lot, and uh, Aiken's a good chap. And he talked about actually even how, he talked about sim work and how boring it was, and, you know, it's not how it's not a life, you, like, you know, a driver should want to relive, and how the young guys might like it now. And, it's a, again, it's a very candid piece, uh, so I, I, would, I would recommend it. It is a, it is, it is a good read. I want to make yeah. mention of that. Uh, two things then to finish uh, the so F1 Academy right I want to talk about, I want to talk about F1 Academy uh, because I I'm beginning to sense the pattern here when it comes to this there, there are several drivers now that have been confirmed for the last in the last two weeks uh, we'll go through them all now in a sec but it seems like F everyone's getting like the way this seems to work is the F1 teams are getting their designated drivers in first and then everyone else follows in after that. Yeah, because the only announcements that have come with uh, F1 Academy have ju- have literally been the driver affiliations. So, as a moment, uh, yeah, the that stands for Prima Racing. It is Tina Hausman for Aston Martin. Uh, Dorian Pont, I'd have to imagine that's how, how that's pronounced. She, uh, she's, she's she's French. Uh, yep, uh, and Maya Verg. Uh, we'll get into, we'll, we'll talk about some of these uh, specifically in a sec. Uh, MP, I've confirmed any driver. <laughs> you have three seats Hopefully. open. Uh, Abby pulling for Roden. Yeah, that's Roden now, not Roden Carlin. R.I.P. Roden Carlin. Uh, or sorry, just Carlin, I guess. Carlin in general. Yeah. Between between poor old uh, the Roden takeover and Stephanie Carlin then going to McLaren, it uh, has rightly yeah. shattered the operation, sadly. So, big shame. Massive shame, in fact. Yeah, household name gone since like the 90s like it's, they've run a lot of races and powered a lot of drivers it is actually a very big shame uh, there was a piece on that somewhere was it Racing News 365 yeah it was yeah so I it's, know it's, exactly which one you want to yeah it's out there anyways uh, but they've Abby pulling for Alpine uh, ART have got Bianca Bustamante who's representing McLaren and Leah Block who's representing Williams uh, Carrie Schreiner representing Stake slash Sauber for Campos and then Chloe Chambers then for Ha. So again, it's all all the confirmed lineup for F1 Academy has all been the F1 teams. Uh, it is just Red Bull and AlphaTauri to announce whoever is there going to run in uh, in the cars. And I imagine the dominoes will fall in after that. So I imagine you'll see both uh, Alcabasi sisters probably in the MP again. I would ha- if I had to guess more than likely. 
and after that, I really don't know because obviously Marta Garcia is heading to Freca. Lena Bueller can't come back. She's too old now. What? Yeah, she's 26. Can't come back. Okay, that's fair. So, uh, which makes Carrie Schreiner, like this would be here last year because she's 25. Uh, Chloe Chambers always, so Chloe Chambers got announced for Haas. She's an American driver. I always remember Chloe Chambers as Jamie Chadwick's teammate at Jenner Racing in the W Series. Yeah. Um, she has had some success off uh, in, I can't remember where exactly she's racing, but I think she's won a few, one or two races here or there. But she's quite, I think she's 20. So uh, there's that. We knew, we knew, we've talked about Leah Block, of course. We've talked about Bianca Bustamante. Abby Pulling, we've, was well known, of course, as well. The, the, very, the two very interesting uh, announcements this week that I think are fascinating. Uh, so let's talk about Dorian Paul first for Mercedes. This is quite, a, yeah, so <laughs> I would have, I don't know why. I, I don't know if I, my opinion of Mercedes is too high, but I think Mercedes, I really thought, you know, right, they will have someone from a diverse background uh, of uh, a different race, and I just fully expected them to lean into this. Because, like, isn't this the perfect opportunity for them to lean into everything that they say they try to do? It literally is their night-and-day thing, isn't it? You That's c- what they do. Like, yeah, I, I really thought it was going to be. But uh, they went with uh, Paul in the end, who is French. And she now, her her resume is actually very strong already at 20 years old. Very, very strong. She raced in LMP2 last year with Prema, so she does have experience with Prema already. Uh, that did involve a podium finish in LMP2 in the first round at Sebring. And yep. in LMP2, they finished ninth overall uh, with Paul. So, and I think her teammate was also Daniel Kvyat as well. So, yeah, strong pedigree. This is obviously going to be her single-seater debut. I would immediately have her as one of the favourites for this title it's depending just it just depends how quickly she can adjust to single seizures but I think she is by far one of the most talented drivers immediately on this grid now more than likely yeah it's hard because I, I, I didn't really pay attention to F1 Academy last year because obviously it wasn't very easy to access no it wasn't <laughs> so my lack of interest in it was pretty poor so I'm sort of looking at this with a blank slate so I'm sort of on in the unknown yeah, I, mean, I look look a lot of these drivers. I don't like. I didn't know who Tina Hausman was either when she was announced. Uh, yeah. I hadn't really heard much of Paul before. I yeah, um, I knew I knew Carrie Schreiner from last year. I knew Chloe, Chloe Chambers and like Leah. I didn't really know about Leah Block. There's really. a couple of names. Yeah, that ring a bell. Mm. Uh, Maya Verg is the interesting one here. Ferrari backed. Now, I got to see Maya Verg in action. In this is the weird thing. She's dropping down from Freca, the place you want to be in, really, where Marta Garcia is going to. Uh, I thought that Maya Verg is her. She had six points finishes last year, but those finishes didn't really do her justice. She was very quick. I th- I do genuinely think when things go her way she's genuinely top 10 pace in she was top 10 pace in Freca last year which is a lot she, considering the drivers she's against absolutely like there, some of the likes of like uh, Kaz Havacourt's Giusti who just got picked up by Williams for instance in their academy uh, obviously you got Antonelli and the such as well like it, she was running in like top 6 places at multiple points last season she's flipping quick I think she's 
I, I, again, depending on what, what happens with Pong and how quickly she adjusts, I would have instantly, like her and Vogue are going to be, I think, leagues above everyone else. There, my Vogue, I think, is going to walk this field if Pong uh, doesn't adjust well to the single seizures. Because basically, Vogue has already raced better machinery than this and has performed extreme. I think, I think, it's performed extremely well in this, even if it's not reflective in her finishes. There's a couple of accidents that she had as well, but yeah, I think she's going to absolutely walk this championship and. It's an odd one that she's going down from Freca, but I just look at this as an option just for her to just just cakewalk a field and just get a little bit more exposure for doing so. Exposure, yeah, more than likely. And then go to Freca, probably, yeah. possibly with a better, better team. Better, um, I think she was in the Prima, I think, last year, but definitely better sponsors. Oh, well, definitely not. Yeah, definitely better sponsors, but she'll probably mm. do a no He'll do it more favours than any. Now, she was already backed by Ferrari last year, so it's not like she's being signed now as part of this, like Paul and others. She was already part of the Ferrari stable. That's strange. Yeah, so she was already in there. So, yeah, I'm excited to see her this season. I think her and Paul, I think, could be a very fun watch. But, yeah, I think Virg should absolutely walk this field. Yeah. I disagree slightly with the ending of this particular there's a article on the race that kind of has everyone's uh, F1 Academy seats and where they're laid out. I slightly disagree with the notion that her main competition would be Abby Pulling, given that Pulling was a bit disappointing last year. Didn't get to even win a race. She didn't pull herself to the front. No, no she didn't, and that was pretty disappointing. So I yeah, I would expect uh Paul and but I think Virg will be yeah, absolutely uh will rip at the front of this field and it'll be I think it'll almost be a bad look just how good she is because she is way too good for this competition, I think. I think Freca is an excellent place for her to be. Yeah. So, anyways, I'll be interested to see then what Red Bull and Aftari do and then how the rest of the grid forms after that. Uh, it's I feel bad in some ways for some of the drivers who were racing in F1 Academy last year who are just now completely undercut now by this, uh, by the new crop this year. Yeah, it is it's the way of it, isn't it? It's not great. Like, I, let me have a quick check at the F1 Academy from last... Because there's a number of drivers I think are really interesting. And I would like to see... Like, I would like to see get another another shot this season. But I they still know, might. They still might, sure. Again, like, there's, t there's two more places to fill. And after that, there's, there's five non-designated F1 seats to be had. Yeah. Uh, I want to see at least Hamdal could basically come back. Yeah. Uh, I want to see... I want to see Jess Edgar come back. I, I, there's enough for, for Jess Edgar, I think. That I want to see a little bit more from Jess Edgar. Uh, and I want to see Chloe Chong come back. Just because she's 16 and she ha I thought her some of her performances at the back end of last season were quite good. And there's quite a bit of potential there, given how young she is. And the skill gap is quite was quite large last year because you have people who are in their mid-20s, who are been racing in some cases for like seven to eight years they've had um w series experience as well and i really liked what some of Chloe chong was had done so i'd like to see her get a proper i'd like to see her continue to get her a chance so yeah there's a couple of drivers i think i'd like i'd like to see get another shot i just hope some of them had an undercut um some of them i don't think yeah like there's a few that i think I, I i'm fine with dropping off the grid entirely that's fine but there, yeah, I hope Kabasi and Chong certainly get, and Edgar to an extent, get get their get a fair look in. 
Yeah. So fingers crossed. Uh, last thing I want to mention then was there was more action from the Formula Regional Middle East Championship. Uh, again, it was on YouTube. So much fun. Absolute bonkers stuff again this weekend. <laughs> absolute, absolute madness. There was uh, some of the driving is like you would. I've seen more conservative driving in league racing and esports compared to real life here. It is crazy. It's they so, just send it. They send it. There's lockups for days. It is so much fun. Like, it is the complete, like, fuck it, just go for it. Like, absolute full send. It's fantastic stuff. Some great battles near the front of the field as well. We had great battles with Stenshorn and uh, and Taylor Barnard, um, Tuka, uh, Tuka Tapanen and Stenshorn as well. Some fantastic stuff there. Some absolutely brilliant stuff. Um, some random people who have been racing in this, by the way, are Luca Bador's son. I don't know if I mentioned this. Um, no, you did not mention this. Luca Bador, yeah. So, uh, I think he's. I think he's Marco Badobador, something like that. Uh, but or Brando, Brando Bador, that's the one. So we have him. I'm pretty sure I saw Alex Young's son in this series as well. Do you remember Alex Young? No. Page Malaysian page driver from 2002 in Minardi. Of all people to see his son knock around, I believe I saw him knocking around. We do have our favorite, uh, our favorite Thai driver that we mentioned briefly once. Do you remember his name? Uh, no. Tanasapal in Thrax Fusak. okay. Yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, he had a good result, actually, to be fair. Um, but, okay, so let me give you the, the quick lowdown on this. So, uh, there's three rounds to go in this championship. Uh, the top three are Taylor Barnard on 69 points, Stenshorn on 88 points, and the guy whose pace I want to talk about, because, oh my goodness, the pace of this chap was unflipping believable. It is Tuka Tapanen. He was on, like he was pulling away quickly from Stenshorn. Stenshorn, I believe, is no joke. Like this guy was taking it to Antonelli this season, in, uh, last season in Freca, and we 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 think highly of Antonelli. Lots of other people do too. Uh, Stenshorn's going to F three. Antonelli's going to F two. But Tuka Tapanen, Ferrari Junior, finish. Of course, yeah. He's going to be in Freca this year. And I think if he shows anything like this pace that he showed, he is going to walk that series. Good. He's putting F3 drivers to shame. He's putting other Freca drivers to shame. He's stepping up to Freca this year as Tappenden. He is... Some of the pace he showed was unbelievably quick. It was absolutely outrageous what he could pull out. Fantastic. Like, little... Again, racecraft, I don't know what to say because it's like everyone's kind of full send here. It's hard to... You know, there was some questionable racing at times with Stenchorn, but yeah. For, so Ferrari Junior, one to keep an eye on. Uh, we'll see him a bit more. He's definitely, obviously, he's leading the title now by 12 points. So he's obviously a title contender with a few rounds to go here. But yeah, really flipping quick. Really impressive stuff. Looking forward to seeing a lot more of him uh, this coming season in Freckel, obviously, to finish here uh, for the uh, for the Regional Middle Eastern Championship. My only concern is we I've seen this somewhat before as well. I remember back in 2022, obviously we got like Joe, Guan Yu Joe won that um, championship, but he, I think he only snatched it at the end because the person who was leading it was Pierre-Louis Chauvet. And... His career has gone so bad. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, that's the thing. Like, we haven't really seen Pierre-Louis Chauvet. Like, he's had a couple of dabbles in uh, Freca here and there, but it's genuinely, yeah, it's not really... So I'm, I'm... Yeah... 
I mean, so he was in F three at one point, I believe, as well. Yeah, So like, for, I'm just looking at the 2022 championship, for example. So Guan Yu Zhou won on 257 points. Pierre Louis Chauvet won five races as well. He won five races to Zhou's four and finished at 241 points. People he finished ahead of include Daruvala, who was already an F two driver by that point, Nisani, Hajar, Beganovic, Iwasa, Kushmini. <coughs> Excuse me. Rafael Villa Gomez. Um, yeah, like a lot of drivers that we see Adama Vidalis, Rizu Shijima, Roman Stanek, Chembuk Bassi. A lot of drivers that have raced in F3, F2, etc. Uh, so, yeah, but he's Ferrari backed, which Chauvet didn't have. So I think that all stand in Tappanen's favour. But yeah, I always felt sad for Chauvet because I thought he was always a. I thought he was so strong in this championship. And there's a lot of flipping races here as well. Like, it's five rounds of three races each. Yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> it's a lot of races. So, yeah, I felt sad for him for that. But, like, Tappanen shouldn't have the same issue being Ferrari-backed already. So, but, yeah. I just, yeah, I'm wary because I don't want to lean too much into former regional Middle East because, you know. Yeah, it's, it's not the most reliable series to sort of go all in on. But it's it's nice to look at things. Absolutely. So, but yeah, uh, yeah, Tappanen. Remember the name because I think you're going to see it a little more often in the future. Definitely this year, anyway. You'll start seeing his name being mentioned, anyway. Yeah, again, if, if you want to check out Freca, it's live. It's on YouTube, streamed and archived. So, always there. Uh, now, it's not the most. I, I don't think it's the most entertaining of things. It's really can you, you're looking to see can you qualify well because it's just an absolute clusterfuck after that. <laughs> And the overtaking can be difficult at times, but yeah. Um, yeah, there we go. There's your former regional uh, Middle East uh, update on that. Some notable drivers in this, of course. Yes. Right. That's all I have anyways. Yeah, I, I, I don't have anything. It's been quite quiet this week, actually. Mm. And then the Daytona 24 is going on as well. Yes, it is actually, yeah. Some big names in that. Some very nice-looking cars. Very nice-looking cars. the Acora. Red Acrova looking beautiful. It's another part of the uh, of the wheel. I believe qualifying is just took place the weekend, just gone. Yeah, then it's the race next week. I believe so. I don't know where to look. I didn't realise that was the thing, but yeah. I believe that's what the case, uh, that's what it is. But... Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I hope to find some place to watch it, but I'm unsure. <laughs> Probably not. You can't find Formula E, then you're not going to be able to find that, unfortunately. No, likely not. But, um, anyways, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Switchback Formula 1 podcast. I've been Graham. I've been Tapanin's number one fan, if that's what you say, isn't it? Uh, yes, get on. Ferrari. Get on it, mate. Get on them. Already. Get on board. I think there's lots to be excited for here. And uh, we shall see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>